Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with all of you here today. Uh, my name is Scott Stevens, and I'm the counseling pastor here at West End Baptist Church. And I want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us today. Our senior pastor, our pastor who normally preaches on Sunday, is on vacation for this month. So this is the last week that he will be away. He'll be back with us next week. Today we're in the last week of a five-week study of the book of James. Now, when we think about this particular passage of James, it's, it's very interesting. He talks about planning and then he goes into prayer. All of us plan in some way. Uh, many of us do it without even thinking about it. Just yesterday I went over my schedule and I was thinking about the tasks that needed to be done that day. I needed to study my Sunday sermon, needed to be ready for today, needed to do some yard work, I needed to go to the gym. We're planning on going out with friends, so I needed to plan for that. I had to factor all of those ends to, into the plans and then started thinking I needed to get some gas and then I needed to wash the car. And You know how it goes, it goes on and on and on. So as I was thinking through this plan for the day, God in his grace reminded me of this sermon that I've been writing. He convicted me of my arrogance that I'm planning my day without consulting him. Some of the things that I've just listed on my to-do list are not necessarily really major things. They're not, not things that uh, really took a lot of thought or a lot, uh, had a lot of impact on, our, on my life. But they are things that I was planning to do. And when we read our sermon scripture for the day, it begins at the end of James 4 and starts at the beginning of James 5, it makes it clear that even those small things that I'm planning on doing need to be brought before God in prayer. First Thessalonians tells us that we are to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus in you. Now, when we consider this verse, and also our scripture references, which we'll get to in just a minute, I'd say that all of these things that I just listed are things that I should be praying about. I need to be asking God for his guidance in everything that I do. So our scripture reference for today's sermon is James 4, 13 through 6, and then 5, 13 through 20. So join with me by turning in your Bible or reading on the screen behind me. James tells us, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are in the midst, for you are in a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
And then we move to James 5, 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Join me as we pray. Father God, thank you so much for the word that you give us. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you so much for the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to be able to son, uh, to understand your scripture. Father, you give us guidelines. You give us that ability to be able to understand, first and foremost, you and who you are. But then you give us the ability to understand how we are to glorify you. And we glorify you through loving you with all of our heart, mind, and soul. But then we love others and we learn to deal with others. Father, we in our arrogance plan and we have, uh, have these tasks that we do day to day. But as, as I said, in our arrogance, we plan without you. So, Father, I pray that we would start considering you in everything that we do, that we make sure that we understand that it is you who guides us and it is your will and your plan for us that will ultimately come to fruition. I just pray that you give me wise and discerning thought, the clarity of speech. Father, you help everyone to have open hearts to hear the message that you would have us to hear. And, Father, I pray that we glorify you in all ways. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. And many of you know that I'm in the final stages of my dissertation work for my doctorate at Southwestern Seminary. And it's been a very trying time. It's been interesting, but uh, it's, it's been an exhaustive experience. And throughout this process that I've gone through, there have been a number of obstacles that I've gone through which have presented themselves usually at different points in, in, in the process, but surprisingly, most of my classwork went well. God provided me with the time that I needed and the financial resources that I needed to have to be able to complete everything within a reasonable amount of time. Now, since I'm an older student, I placed a deadline on myself for, for this completion, and in thinking about it, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll work for three years in the actual classwork, and then I'll spend a year on the dissertation and be ready for graduation. Well, the plan for my classwork went as, as I thought that it would. I, I was able to, to 
finish it up and, and did pretty well with that. But once I get to the dissertation, things began to change. I received a new advisor who didn't like my topic for my dissertation. So she told me that I needed to start over. I needed to begin from, from the start. Now, I had already written 125 pages for that dissertation. So I had to change my entire approach to the paper that I was writing. Once I determined that what that new approach would be, I set the calendar date again. This new approach meant that I had to rely on other people to help me to finish that particular paper. And when you know it, another obstacle came into play. I had to wait on pastors to answer a survey. And you would think that pastors, and I only needed three, 323 pastors to respond. You would think that that would be pretty quickly. Or happened pretty quickly. Well, it took a year. So I was delayed once again. I was at the mercy of those other people to help me to complete this task. But one of the, the wonderful things, even though this was very, very frustrating for me, the Lord was using this circumstance to work on my heart. He helped me to see that there was a bigger plan, that there was something else that I wasn't considering as, uh, as I was going through this. Now, that degree is something that I want. It's, it's a heart desire that I have. Now, I don't know why it is. It, it may be just something to prove to myself. And I don't think it's about pride. It's, it's, not, it's not something that I want to put the letters behind my name or I want to go around and tell everybody that I'm a doctor. But it's something that I think that I can use to glorify God. It's something that I think is the next stage of where God wants me to be. So as we're planning, as we're thinking about things, and we think that this is going to be for God's good and for my glory, our thinking gets turned around, doesn't it? Did you see what I just said there? We're supposed to be thinking about God's glory and the things that will be for our good. And many times we don't do that. And I think that as we're thinking about the plans that we're going through, the things that we're planning to do for the good of, of the kingdom, many times those are for our glory and not God's glory. My heart desire has put me in a situation where I've been making plans without praying. I haven't been focusing on the will of God necessarily. Now, I've been wanting to do God's will, but I haven't consistently thought about the process as I've been going through it and thinking, is this truly what God would have me to do? I just assumed that since I was doing something in order to glorify God in my mind, that he would bless it and sign off on it and it would succeed. Now, as I waited for the others, the pastors, to participate in, and finish up uh, what they needed to finish up, I realized through God's grace that my plans and my timeline was made without consulting God. 
I didn't really consider him in anything that I was doing. And as a result, I repented. And in God's grace, he gave me a a peace realizing one simple but essential truth. If he wants me to finish, I will. If he doesn't want me to finish, I won't. All I know is at this point, he has wanted me to finish the coursework because that's done. But I haven't graduated yet. Now, I'm still working to graduate, and I'm still planning to graduate. I have that responsibility. But I think what I've learned throughout this is that every day I go through this process, I go, God, this is what I'm going to do today. I pray that you will bless it, and if you don't, help me to see what I need to be doing. Help me to understand where I should be going, what I should be doing. We all have to be willing to let God control the circumstances in our lives. How many of us who love the Lord forget or neglect to consult God before we make the plans in our lives? We move forward, like I've done with school, believing that we're in the will of God and that we're doing good work, so God must be blessing it, but we never really talk with him about what we're doing. The sin of failing to come to God in prayer is one of the most common offenses that the Christian commits. As we make our plans, we tend to have an arrogant or presumptive confidence that the outcomes that we desire will come about. This is arrogant because we presume that it's us, that we are the ones that are in control of all of the circumstances in our lives. And that the future, the outcome, is actually dependent upon what we do and not necessarily what God does. Now, there is a part that we have to do with it. As as I'm going through this graduation process, I still have to work. I still have to do the the hard labor of trying to get to where I want to be. But we have to remember, too, that we have to consult God as we go through this hard labor, through this work. We have to make sure that this is within God's will for us. And that we are actually taking a step backwards and saying, your will be done. But in this passage, James is speaking with businessmen. And these, these businessmen are planning for their future. And they say here, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such and t- a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, Realistically, when you read through all of this, this sounds like a decent plan. Uh, The people that James is referencing know when they will go. They know where they will go. They know how long they will go for and what they will do when they get there. That's pretty good planning. They also believe that this process will bring them a profit 
They know what the outcome will be because they've thought through how they're going to make that profit. But as we look at the plan, it doesn't seem as if if they've had any consideration for the things that they could not control. Referring back to those verses, it's in their arrogance that they thought that they had control over everything. All of the circumstances that they were being confronted with, they thought it was in their power to make it happen. There's something that we need to remember. It's a lesson from this passage. Uh, It's that we cannot comprehend all of the complexities of life. It's just beyond us. There's no way that we can predict a future. And what's sad is as we go through day-to-day life, as, as we're thinking about things, we don't really think about the fact that life is uncertain and that it's really, really brief. Most of young, you young people don't realize that. As we get older, we realize how life flies by. So a great proverb to remember is Proverbs 27.1. It says, do not Boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Now, going back to our passage in James, James says in the latter half of verse 14, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We don't consider often enough that this life is brief and this life is uncertain. Now, When we think about the brevity of life, as we move into verse uh, verse 15, it says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But then he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So here James clearly states that it is in our arrogance, and we need to really capture that. It's, It's in our pride that we plan our own lives. He reminds us that we should consult the maker of the universe, the all-sovereign, the all-knowing God who loves us and wants what's best for us. Now think about that. Those are the attributes. Those are who God is. And we don't consider him as we're making our plans So according to Scripture, there's a correct process for making plans. The first part, or the first step is we should make plans by first consulting God and then trusting that the plans will come to fruition if He desires for them to. Just because we have plans doesn't necessarily mean that they're the plans that God has for us. There's an author, Jay Adams, who's a wonderful counselor, actually helped to start the, or is attributed for starting the biblical counseling movement. He writes, God's way of planning involves the attitude of the heart. And we've talked about this a good bit during this series. To plan well, you don't merely sit down and plan away. You must think biblically about what you're doing. It is imperative 
to plan according to your best understanding of biblical principles and then apply them to your life as best you can. So look through, think about what you're, what you're wanting to do. Look at the scriptures, see if there are parallel verses that could go along with your plan and apply those to your life. Prayer, though, is not only essential as we make the plans, it is imperative that we come to, his guide, uh, to, come to God for his guidance in every circumstance we encounter. Now, again, I don't do that, and I need to do that. It's hard to think about, okay, God, I'm getting ready to drive to the market. Why aren't we praying for safe travel as we drive? We assume that it's going to be safe. We assume that God's going to bless our, our journey. We need to be careful to, to pray in every circumstance that we encounter. In James 5.13, we read, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know, I thank God that we are in a church where people pray for one another. We pray for the sick. We pray for those who have needs. We pray for those who have strayed and who are acting sinfully. And we pray for those who are suffering. I can't tell you how much I appreciate a text from our pastor Marty during the week. And in that text, he's telling me that he's prayed for me. Marty is a, a wonderful example of a servant leader who is relying on God to guide and empower him on our behalf. He prays for every one of us. As a matter of fact, driving in here this morning, Suzanne, she's shown that she's the same way. She texted me this morning and told me that she's prayed for me. I can't tell you what a comfort it is to know that we are in a body of people who are praying for one another. People in our church don't just pray, though. We praise God. We come alongside each other and thank God and sing praises for the things that are going on in each, one of, uh, each other's lives. Peyton's getting ready to go to college. This is a wonderful thing. We're praising God for that. We're praising God for so many circumstances that are happening in people's lives. And this is important for all of us to do. James 5.13 directs us, though, we cry with those who cry and we are happy with those who are happy. That's what we need to be doing, and that's what we do. 
but we don't just need to do it here in these four walls. We need to be doing it every day. We need to be doing it when we're at home, when we're by ourselves. So in James 14, we're told that if a person is sick, the elders of the church should pray over him. He goes on to say that the prayer of the faith, uh, prayer of faith will heal the sick. Now, this is an interesting passage that I don't want to just pass over. It's kind of going down a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I want us to talk about this for a second. In the second half of verse 15, we read, and if, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So in this verse, we see that James is, seems to be identifying sickness with sin. And I wanted to clarify that just a little bit. We know that sickness is a result of Adam's sin. We, his sin has caused, caused a broken and fallen world here. And there, as a result, is sickness and death. There are a few references in Scripture that we see that sickness is a result of sin. Uh, in John 5, we read of a man who has been sick for 38 years, and Jesus confronted, uh, or he, he confronted Jesus by the pool of Bethesda. You remember the man who's laying by the pool and tried to crawl in whenever the water stirred. Jesus saw him and out of his mercy healed him. But later in the passage, we read that Jesus found the man in the temple and he said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. We all know of someone who has suffered physical repercussions from a sinful activity. Uh, if we're gluttonous, we suffer physically from overeating. If we don't exercise or if we use some substance that's bad for us, sometimes that tends to, to be the repercussions of that activity. Not that it's necessary, necessarily sinful, but the overuse or, or the problems uh, result in sinful uh, or in, in that uh, illness. There are some activities that we know of that, that we try to avoid that we know will have the outcome of, of, a, of a negative repercussion. So James tells us that when, when, we, when we are confronted with this type of situation, we should pray for that person. We need to be in prayer for that person who is acting sinfully or, or suffering an illness based off of that sinful activity. But verse 16, and this is, this is what's really interesting or most important to remember, we are to confess our sins and pray for one another. So we lovingly admonish them and we talk with them about that circumstance and we help them to confess and pray for one another because the prayers of a righteous person have great power in their workings. And that's one reason why I appreciate the prayers of so many of you. I know that God hears the prayers of the righteous. But the Bible is clear too that not all illnesses are the results of sin. So we wanna make sure that that's clear. 
when Jesus healed the blind man and his disciples asked the bl- if the blindness was because of his parents' sin or because of his sin, Jesus responded that the man or his parents had not sinned. And this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. We read that in James 9, 1 through 3. But this doesn't take away our responsibility to be diligent in prayer for those who are, who are sick. We need to pray for all sickness at all times, no matter what the cause. And we pray that in God's glory, that he will heal that person from their illness. And we're always to remember to pray if the Lord wills it it to happen. We pray in the Lord's will. One of the most important lessons that we can learn is how to pray. Ian Bounds has a wonderful book on prayer, and I highly recommend it to you. In his book, Bounds makes this comment. Now, read behind me because I want you to get this. This is really so interesting. We must pray so that our prayers take hold of God. The man who has done the most and the best praying is the most immortal because prayers do not die. How many of you have thought about that? Prayers do not die. Perhaps the lips that uttered them are closed in death or the heart that felt them may have ceased to beat. But the prayers live before God and God's heart is set on them. Prayer outlives the lives of those who uttered them, outlive a generation, outlive an age, outlive a world. Now as I think about this, and I think about the immortality of of righteous prayers, I'm able to see prayers in a different way. The prayers that are most effective, the ones that are thoughtfully and passionately delivered, live on for eternity. Bounce goes on to say, Prayer is no fitful, short-lived thing. It is no voice crying unheard and unheeded in silence. It is a voice that goes into God's ear, and it lives as long as God's ear is open to holy pleas, as long as God's heart is alive to holy things. The wonderful prayer that you've made for someone lives on for eternity in God's ears. Our prayers, if done in a God-glorifying way, can impact the world for the better. But there's some steps that we need to ensure as we are praying. As you plan your day, plan to pray. We spoke earlier about the need to plan and the need to pray for our plan. But how many of you have a written schedule or a calendar where you've listed your planned tasks for the day? I know I've got a list where I plan out everything. How many of you have pray on that list? I don't. 
But we should plan in our day a time of prayer, not only that God will bless and guide us in our plans, but we should also be playing, praying for, planning to pray for members of our family, for people in our neighborhood, for friends in our church. We should be praying for those in leadership, our bosses at work, our government leaders, and our pastor. Think about the awesome responsibility that Marty has every week to share God's word with us, as well as shepherd us and care for us. He needs our prayers. Think about, too, uh, think about also the wonderful worship that we have with Melody and the praise team. Melody puts a good amount of time and prayer into preparing the music for us each Sunday. She and the worship team practice and prepare so that they'll be glorifying to God and edifying to each one of us. They need to be on our prayer calendar, our planning calendar for prayer, so that we'll be praying for them every week. How many of you, with good intentions, say to someone else, I'll be praying for you, only to forget about it. We need to be praying specifically for those who request our prayers, and they're trusting in us to go before God on their behalf. So we need to plan for that type of thing. We need to plan for that prayer. Second, we need to humbly become, uh, come before God in our prayer. Last week we read in James 4, 6, and 7 that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He goes on to say, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then in James 4, 10 we read, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So it's in humility and expectation that we approach God. He has promised that he will hear us if we come to him with the right attitude. And that attitude, that right attitude, is equivalent to a right heart. Mark eleven twenty four states, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And then in 1 Peter 5, 6, we read, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. One more. Finally, in Psalm 25, 9, we read, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. So as we approach God for ourselves and for others, remember that we have been given a wonderful privilege of coming before the throne of the king of the universe to make our requests known to him. What an awesome privilege we have. We, the creatures, have open access to the creator. We should never, though, go before him with demands and selfish requests. We should always bow to his will as it's found 
in his word. The third thing that we should do is always pray as Jesus prayed. Jesus gave us a perfect example of how to pray, uh, pray, and I don't think that it can be approved upon. Matthew 6, 9 through 13 explains that we should say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So as we break this down, as we think about this, as we're praying through it, we're to address God as who he is, our Holy Father. Father, The majesty of his name should be filling us as we approach this throne. We're to acknowledge his kingdom and his accomplishments. He's accomplished everything. He's promised that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. The things that he has accomplished are all of the things that he has done in our lives, all of the things that he has done everywhere. We acknowledge his accomplishments. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for giving me this. Thank you for a Savior who loves me. We are to acknowledge that God's will is better than ours. Think about this. We have a sovereign, providential God who knows all things. And he's willing to step in and say, that's not a smart thing to do. Let me show you a better way to do it. And then he imposes that better way on our lives because all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. We are to acknowledge or to ask God to meet our daily needs. Now, this includes the needs of others, too. We are to ask him, God, help me here. Help provide for me here, but also provide for this person in the neighborhood who needs our help. We are to ask God to forgive our sins. Here, we humbly confess our sins and we repent. Guys, there's not a day that goes by that we don't sin in some way. We have been forgiven. We have access to God because we have been forgiven. But that doesn't mean that we don't have some sin in our lives where we've thought something that was wrong, that we've acted in a way that we shouldn't have acted, where we've been selfish rather than selfless. And every day we need to repent of that. But also knowing that we have a loving God who has forgiven us and will continue to forgive us of that. And we're to ask God for protection from evil and for his support that we can overcome the evil that comes into our lives. Things happen to us every day. People who are not of God will do things, allow things to happen in our lives, whether we can control it or can't control it. Things will happen in our lives that cause us to suffer, that bring about suffering and harm. 
we can pray for protection against that, and we should pray against or for protection against that. But then also we should pray that we're able to grow through that, to become better, more like Jesus Christ in every way because of the circumstance that his, he has allowed to happen in our lives. God loves us and he cares for us in every way, in every aspect of our lives. And he's concerned about everything that happens to us. And thank God that he does. We've got the creator of the universe who knows how many hairs that we have on our head. He knows my needs. And he's promised like the, the needs of the sparrow or the flowers or the clothed like the flowers of the field. He'll care for us. He'll provide for each one of us because he loves us and we belong to him. If that's the case, why wouldn't I take the time to talk with him about the plans that I have for today? Why wouldn't I seek guidance about the small things as well as the big things, about even the big purchases or the small purchases that we're getting ready to make? Why wouldn't I talk with him about my hopes and fears? Why wouldn't I include him in every aspect of my life since, she, since he cares about every aspect of my life? I think the reason I haven't done it to this point is because I've been more self-sufficient than I need to be. I'll conclude by mentioning this. Many of the old Christian writers would sign their manuscript with the initials D.V. This stands for Deo Valente, which means Lord Willing. We should be so in tune with what God, what God desires for us that we're willing to submit all that we're doing, all of the planning that we have with the attitude that is represented with these two letters, Lord willing, DV. God wants us to replace our own self-confidence with a confidence in his providence. And like, like most things, it's a matter of the heart. So as we lay our plans before God, after seeing that they can withstand biblical scrutiny, after we look at what the Bible says about what we're planning, we should acknowledge our own limitations in knowing that we, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know what's happening right now. But these plans are the best that I can do to this point. Now, as I turn my plans over to you, God, let's see what you'll do with them. And that could be that they're changing completely. But that's okay. He loves us. He wants what's best for us. And we can have confidence in knowing that he will improve our plans. He's promised that he will. This is why as we pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Join me as we pray. Lord God, thank you so much for caring for us enough to be 
involved in every aspect of our lives. And God, out of our arrogance, we don't come to you with everything, and we should. So Father, I pray that you remind us throughout the week, help us to see what we should be doing. And with your patience and with your mercy and with your grace, help us to learn that your way is the better way. And that no matter what we pray for, your will is what we want. God, we love you. We praise you. Help us to glorify you. We can't do it on our own. And we thank you so much for the opportunity to worship here today. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.